do, do you know, I only learned ooh, 10 days ago why when you speak, your voice sounds different to when you hear it. Do you want to hear it? I mean... Do you want to hear the scientific reason? Yes, Colin. Please tell me the scientific <laughs> reason. You are welcome. Here's the scientific reason. When you speak, your vocal cords uh-huh. vibrate and they send those vibrations yes. as sound waves up through mm-hmm. your jaw and through mm-hmm. your skull. And because your bones are so mm-hmm. dense, if I those real good, like... waves, those frequencies, they vibrate real strong, real hard, and they stretch and they lower. So when you speak, yeah. you hear your voice in your own head and it sounds lower to you than it does to everybody else. And then you listen to your voice through your you ears. Like a little man child. And that's why you're like, hmm, why do I sound like a gay? And then you yeah. realize, well, I am. But then also, here's why you do. Because you're hearing it straight into yeah. your ear canal rather than through your own skull. So This is this science. is why a lot of people who do mixing for things like podcasts or, or even radio or streams and this stuff, they, they will redo the, the balancing and the compressings and the whatevers to like get the boost the bases and to lower the the highs. And this, and, really? Well, because they've got the... I, well, I, I think it's a part of it. People who are trying to get their sound set up realistic, you know, correct. Okay. They go, right. they record, they listen back, and they're like, oh, I sound way too high. And then they adjust it, <laughs> adjust it, until it sounds more like their head voice. That's so silly. Well, I've seen it happen a I ton. could probably do it. I've seen it happen to tons of people. I will have a VST, some sort of plug-in somewhere that would lower my voice to the voice I have in my head. Yeah. yeah without yeah, it sounding too weird, but not. Nah. No, yeah. No, we're not doing that. Today. I think I think there's an element as well as far as radio goes and at least professional outfits go and then obviously just um it, after that it's so influential that anyone does it wherein like lower voices sound more authoritative. Right. So people want to sound that way. So they put on all of those bass boosts and they make their voice sound really deep. It's kind of like what I think if you've ever heard Ben Shapiro talk <laughs> on his shows and stuff, he's got all his masculine filters on. And then if you hear him on like some low quality microphone debate, he sounds like what he actually sounds like and the, and the difference is huge. Well, it's, and, it's like um, what I do though. And that's just the, that's just a huge example of it because you see it all over actual radio. Right, but it's, it's what I do because... As I may have said before, Graham has an alter ego for me, which is Shouty Man. So when I'm doing my Shouty Man voice, <laughs> yeah, shouty, yeah. I'm the classic, hello, everybody, welcome to Pink Elephant. How are you getting on today? That sort of, I'm announcing on the radio all the time voice versus just chatting normally voice versus this? what I'm doing here. So it's kind of an amalgam of all three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do it, you do it yourself and then you, people also add filters. And if you go onto any like... Uh, audio workstation um, there will be a filter or there might be a filter because I know some of mine do but other ones don't call it like podcast or right. broadcast and you put it on the podcast or broadcast mode and it, it boosts those those lows and it brings down those mids and highs uh, I think one part of it for radio as well is that they they it's just it's just the balancing ideas if all the music is going to be mostly in the mids okay. you want to put the voices somewhere else sure. but yeah there's there's all kinds of reasons and a big part of it is just that you sound different in your brain you sound way more manly and authoritative in your brain so you want your podcast to sound the same that is true sorry i'm eating a cherry no, big well at the same time thank you for the science colin um it's so informative you're welcome wow and speaking of mixing seeing as you haven't asked for more of my life story here's some more Oh, okay. How, what else has been happening with you, Colin? Well, as of three days ago, 
I got rejected by Creative Scotland, but no, a conditional rejection. So, oh, basically, it does exist. Over the last few weeks, I've had some time to think about what do I want to do musically. Yes. And so, I went to Creative Scotland and said, "Hey, I want you to give me several thousand pounds uh-huh. to record the world's first ever Gaelic metalcore slash deathcore album." Right. Here's here's the money I would like. Thanks. Right. It would be very historic and you would get lots of kudos from people. Yes. It wouldn't be successful, but you know, it's the it's the thought that counts. And so Exactly. I sent them that application and they got back to me on Wednesday saying, Nope. <laughs> but, nope, but okay, what's the but? But How big is you it? have to tell us what the money is for. <laughs> Cause basically I'd said, here's how much I would like, because I figured it out in my head. How much I would pay myself. Right. Okay, you didn't detail it? And like, I just kind of like stuck some random figures like, okay, if we wanted to do a music video, it would probably cost a grand without doing any research or just slapped in a, <laughs> slapped in a number. Oh How much is it going to be to master an album? I don't know, 500 quid? 500 quid it is. So, probably more. Well, I guess it depends if you're getting a professional to do it or you're doing that yourself. Right, right. more for a professional master. Yeah, yeah. So... They've basically came back and said, "Yeah, you need to do. You need to show us your work in pal. Actual cost. Actual yeah. cost. It right. So good luck. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> good luck over the next uh, little while. I'm gonna go back to the application, do all the sums, and then, ideally, by the end of the year, maybe the start of 2024. I mean, no, no. the world's first ever Gaelic deathcore album will be right. a real thing. Okay, thanks to the free money." From Creative Scotland. So, Creative Scotland, it's if you're listening... taxpayers' money. Thanks to taxpayers. Yeah, well, taxpayer, thank you, everybody, including myself, seeing as I've contributed well, to it. Well, you're pre-thinking, because you might still just get rejected. <laughs> I might, but they shouldn't. You put in the detail, and they'll be like, 500 for mastering? Nobody does that. This guy's a scammer. This guy has clearly no idea what he's talking about. In the initial one, did you just write the one sum of money, or did you have, like, a little bit of detail? <laughs> no, so, like, right. video, this much. <laughs> Master, this much. I, or was it just... Uh, here's the many thousands I need. Essentially, the latter, with maybe that's like, better for you right now. Right, with maybe like two addendums. So, music video thousand Examples. pounds. Which, by the way, I then went back to my pals at Up Next Studios and said, just for clarity's sake, because Creative Scotland want to know how much would it cost <laughs> for you to film a creative uh, a music video for me in the style of, and I sent them a, a, a video that I like, and they said, oh, uh... we would do it for free because you're great. So I can now go back to Creative Scotland and say. Music video cost zero. Well... Here's the proof. Here's the email. Okay. So, more money for me. Basically, I have to prove that the money I would be... So, here's the here's the, the pitch, right? I want to stop doing freelance so I can spend my time writing Gaelic music instead. Just for a little break, but right? Or like, just, for, yeah. just for like three months. Yeah, so, yeah, like yeah. A, a 12-week period. Yeah. But, obviously, I still need that money to exist because I'm now paying off a quarter million pound house. So, now you've got to prove that you need the money to exist. Right. So I'm just going to show them my annual tax statements and say, hey, look, here's how much I make a month from freelance. you got to fill that gap, please. Thanks. And they'll say, great. Now you've done this. You've done the maths for us. Here's a check. Right. But then also go and blow it on cocaine and hookers. Projected costs for the actual things. Are you th- are you going to try to do mastering yourself, for example? Because no, yeah, no, no, exactly. no, no. So you do need to know the the actual amount because right. so, a good one is expensive. So I have sent some emails today. 
Yeah. So I, that's in the, uh, the work in progress. I did actually, when I was putting the application together, I thought, could Creative Scotland fund something for Seesaw Parade? No. And if so, what? No, we're not creative. Maybe like a big poster? No. An advert? They wouldn't. I also don't, well, I don't think we would want that, mainly because we're very embarrassing. We're <laughs> we don't want any attention on us, really. We are an embarrassment that is to the true. nation. Granted, if we were doing something, some other project that was less of an embarrassment to the nation, maybe, but I think I think of anybody in an official kind of capacity viewed this yeah, yeah. podcast or listened to it, they'd be like, oh my goodness. If, if this made a material <laughs> difference to anyone's life, then maybe they would turn around and say, sure, here's of tenor. Entertainment is worth it, but I don't think Creative Scotland just want entertainment. They want stuff that 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 feels I mean enter- sorry, entertainment is a very loose term exactly. being used with this podcast. They want stuff that feels like it, it is a good reflection on Scotland. It, Historic. It, yeah, it's like broadening the arts Talent. of the nation, you know, it represents the the country well, whatever. I don't think we haven't got that yet. We'll figure it out though. One day I'll be begging Creative Scotland to pay me. <laughs> so one of the uh, the sentences they they responded to me with this whole rejection letter was like five pages long, Whoa. and one of them was, "And here's if you do A, B, and C, then I'm confident you would be on a strong path to a full time career in music." Oh really? I thought that's optimistic. Very, Have very. you listened to the genre? Yeah, yeah. Do you know how many people listen to this? <laughs> do you know how how few monthly listeners we would get? <laughs> slash I would get. But yeah, anyway, but maybe maybe, maybe they mean like a government funded <laughs> music career. We, do you know what? That's what I should do. I should have some of the the money that I'm pitching for to be given direct to Spotify so that they just, like, jam me into everybody's playlist oh. because I bought my way in, yeah, right? That, the real way. That's the real way you make music these days. <laughs> that's how, that's how art is, is made. you yeah. got to pay your way there. Yeah. Right? I'm like the Logan Paul of Gallic yeah, music. Get them, get them bot clicks. Just yeah. get me in a high-profile boxing feud with Grado. Yeah. That's how we promote this. I've been writing my own rejection letter today, actually. Oh, really? Why? I can't go heavy on the detail here. <laughs> Suffice to say, somebody said some inappropriate things to me, and I'm saying, nah. <laughs> oh, right. Nice. Well, that's for Cease Operate After Dark. Where Indeed, we, that other thing that is real. <laughs> we go into the, 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 that's what we pitch Creative Scotland. That's it. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, we do have a mostly embarrassing podcast that is a shame on the nation, but we could do one that's even more shameful if only you sure. pay us. <laughs> and we just just fully open and spill the trauma to the world. And we, we just talk about everything mm-hmm. rather than just everything, the fun things, no, we, the shiny things. No, we don't talk about shiny things. No, we just talk about how, you know, it's, it's, it's a real joy to be on this planet right now, mm-hmm. having such mm-hmm. a good time. Oh my, so good. Just cannot wait for tomorrow. It's, it's the best. So, oh man. Living is great. I mean, isn't it? Yes, definitely. <laughs> Especially yeah. in Scotland, where you get paid to say nice things about Scotland, right? We live in a world where Barbenheimer is a thing. Barben, Barbenheimer is 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 Barbenheimer is hilarious, though. That's Are true. you planning to see either? I mean, I want to see both at some point. I don't think I'm desperate to see sure. Barb in okay. the big screen, but Op I would see in the big screen, or Heimer I would see in the big screen. <laughs> 
Sorry, when you say uh, bar- Barbon, the big screen. Ba- yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I would, I would want to see Oppenheimer full IMAX and all that. However, it's probably like really fully booked, and I'm very lazy, so yeah, it will be. I'll probably just watch it on a small screen one day and be like, oh, this could have been cool. I have heard one thing pre-review. Okay, apparently the 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 dialogue is actually audible in this film. Hmm. I don't believe that for for a single moment. Based on Chris Nolan's track record from the last what three movies? Yeah, but apparently where a lot of the audio has just been indecipherable for artistic reasons that are definitely (sighs) legitimate. I will believe that when I see it. Although what I have heard, as you'd expect, is that Oppenheimer is told in a non-linear fashion. So lots of jumping fro and to. Great. And hither and thither. Mm. Barbie, I think, is I I mean reviews have been great. Yeah, and Margot yeah. Robbie is lovely. However, and Ryan Gosling is lovelier. The scary thing is that Hollywood, or at least the people who made and funded Barbie, are going to learn the wrong lessons from this film. Why? Because they're going to think, "Oh man, people want Barbie films. That means they want <laughs> films of all the other toys they grew up with. That's what this film no, is popular well, for." Hold on. You're saying that like we don't already live in a world which has a a battleship movie, you know, an actual movie about no, the, the board yeah, game yeah, battleships. But that was the result of the previous time. That was that was because of Transformers or whatever. So it's the same right, thing. Another one. Transformers comes out and everyone's like, "Oh, bye. What other <laughs> toys can we make? Can we make a film from? Even though like this one's got established media already, and sure. then this other one doesn't. Let's do the other one. There have been. There's been a Super Mario film this year. There's Borderlands, the yeah, movie coming always, out next that, year. That is not a toy. Those are games. We, we, game films have existed for right. So you're talking about like time. product games. So Tamagotchi, the game. <laughs> I think. I think. Sorry, no, the film. Yeah, I mean, because there already has been efforts at this kind it's of thing. Tetris. Tetris Hang just on. came out this year. What's that kids' toy that's like the Barbies, but they've got like the big lashes instead? Bratz. Bratz. There was a Bratz movie, right? And it sucked. Yes, there was. And, and Hollywood and the rest of the people learned, oh, let's not make toy movies for a little while. But now the Barbie ones come out, so they're going to think, oh, it's time to to relaunch Bratz. Well, the, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to green light a sequel. I can almost guarantee you we will have a Barbie 2. Uh-huh. Because this money will make so this money, this movie will make so much money yeah, yeah, yeah. that they'll have no choice but to say, "Hey, Margot and Ryan, you want another fifty million each?" But hopefully, Margot and Ryan come back. Let's do it again. And the director and everybody else Greta, that made it actually yes. work. You know, because that's the part. Like they could make a billion really, really good toy-based films if they all have they could. A, a, a strong team of hardworking people who understand what makes good cinema, or they could end up making 50 absolute trash things that are just an attempt battleship. at money. Yeah, battleship. Although, you know what? I liked Battleship. Really? Wow. See, I think initially I Rihanna. thought cringe and bad, and then now looking back, I'm like, <laughs> awful. Bad in the best kind of way. Nah, like, it's just... the actually good bad. <laughs> okay. Well, if they are going to make a Barbie sequel, they're going to need the actors to do it, and they are all on strike. Oh, yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about, amongst many other In just a bad minute. Things. This is a podcast. Welcome to Seesaw Parade. Shouty man voice. You're listening. Oh, dear. To the longest running mm-hmm. Scottish-based news-slash-politics-slash-entertainment-slash-nuclear-winter podcast. In existence. You know, you know what? Longest running and least funded. Least fun, <laughs> The least funded <laughs> podcast in history. Where 
we were sponsored for like three episodes. Wait. Because uh, my brother gave me like a case of beer many, many years ago. Oh, right. Okay. We actually did get a thing. I didn't. We did. Get uh, yeah. The we beer. had a sponsor, which was. Um, so, in terms of funding, we've been funded maybe like th- three pence an episode. In fact, we've just made a net loss because we have to pay for the, the, the hosting site every year. Yeah. So, a cons- running at a considerable loss for your benefit. Hope you're happy, dear listener. Singular. My, my name's Colin. Should we do a Patreon? Let's start a Patreon. We can get James like is a, over a there. One quid per month. Do you know what? That actually is what some people do. A one oh, yeah, pound a month yeah. Patreon. Yeah. But I would be, I think I would be more embarrassed if I set that up and then we had like three people giving us a pound you'd be, if you, you'd every feel month. Shame. I think I'd be more embarrassed by that. You'd feel shame? I would feel shame, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Like a three a three person Patreon. Oh. I'm sorry. It's like a like the saddest friendship group in the world. You know what's sadder than that? It's like a zero person Patreon. Imagine <laughs> no, if we like, achieved that. Just don't even Imagine try. Imagine if we managed that one. <laughs> just don't try. It's pointless. It's meaningless. Yeah, well, that's the, that's whatever. Like reference to like a billion people who have said the similar things. Like if you don't try, like you you can't fail. But like that's just that's just that's just a f- different kind of failure. That's that's just for people who just haven't bothered to do anything. That's just. Yeah, it's just pre-failing. Right. Anyway, part of this, part of getting to the point of having a Patreon is knowing there's like a consistent appetite for people loving your content. And people like, like the, they like the show, but do they love the show? No. Oh, that's a good question. They do not. That's they, a good question. They exist with the show. Uh, you're being too mean to us right now. I'm not going to jump down to your level. I'm going to be the the optimistic one. No, you're we're we're in mean era, Colin. I think people love this. I think people love this. I think there is at least some people who love what we do. <laughs> well, your mum doesn't count, so no, she doesn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Whether you exist with the show or you love the show, you are very welcome here. And we are going to talk about lots of things in the show. We may as well get started by slagging off the Tories because hey, they had a by-election. Oh, yeah. I think we can slag off Labour as well, though, can't we? Because uh, they're evil too. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Let the slagging commence. Okay, so this is the news that... The Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has insisted the Conservatives can still win the next general election <laughs> it's not despite a done deal. the fact that they lost yeah. two of their three by-elections on Thursday. So, yeah. in Somerton and Frome, which sounds like a terrible musical number, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Labour overturned a massive Tory majority and the Lib Dems overturned a huge one in Selby and Ainsty. I think the Lib Dem swing was like a bit bigger, right? Oh, it's huge. Absolutely. Uh, the biggest, I think the, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think for that area, the the, the biggest ever um, loss or the biggest ever win for a not Tory party stuff like Indeed. that. Indeed. And then in the third constituency in Uxbridge, which is, I believe, just outside of London, they won by 495 votes. Disgusting. Which would, if they had lost that, would have betrothed Mr. Sunak, yeah. to the mm-hmm. humiliation of being the first Prime Minister for 55 years to lose three by-elections in the same night. Oh, so, so close. So close. 500 if votes only off Labour, it. 
seemed like they were worth voting for. People might have done it more. Anyway, Labour, Lib Dems, both championing this as an incredible win, a cry for change, a big step forward. But Rishi's like, well, you didn't beat us in Uxbridge, so clearly people still love the Tories. What's your take on all this? We lost two out of three. Let's make it out of five. (laughs) Exactly. Best of five. Let's see who wins then, eh? Uh, but yeah, I, I get they're, they're right that it's a cry for change, you know, because the votes are very different. People want change. That's true. I wouldn't call any of these wins like a major victory. It's all a major loss. Because sure. a major victory, I guess, requires effort from the opposition or effort from the person who won. But Labour, Lib Dems, everyone, they're just coasting through on how much everyone hates the Tories right now. Yep. And I think the only thing that people are saying won Oxbridge for the Tories isn't the Tories. It's It was like a protest vote against the ultra-low emissions zone. Okay, so just uh, to give people clarity, because Uxbridge is right on the edge of London, yeah. there was an unpopular plan to essentially penalise motorists for driving in and around the city. And they were like, no, we don't like that plan, so we're going to still vote for the Tories because they are opposed to it basically. Yeah, and the Tories won't actually oppose it or do anything significant and they're going to regret voting for them like everyone ever should regret about voting the Tories. But, like, it's not a pro-Tory vote. So I don't think any of the parties can really come away thinking, hey, we won something because it's just they all lost on different levels in different ways. I think anyone that isn't Tories is losing because they are they continue to refuse to work together sure. in a first-past-the-post system. In a system where only one party votes with a with a whoever's got the most, not even a majority vote, um, not even a, sorry, a true majority vote, uh, parties should be working together. Then they, they they really just need to be doing it more. So it's a huge loss for us to see something like the Tories winning by a couple of hundred seats in a in a or in votes. a spot where votes, yeah, in a in a spot where other parties could have just like supported each other and got way more than that and yeah like the right parties could do the same yep. in the, in each of these individual spaces um, and maybe get more of the vote as well but it's just such a shame to be wasting these things um, but the big thing is that Rishi's not wrong it still isn't unbelievable that the Tories win the next election Yep, because they still don't have the media carrying them yet the media is still going out for the Tories for now. But as soon as it looks like anybody with a, with any level of empathy for the people of Britain is challenging the the leadership, they'll go right back to okay. pushing, trying to push the Tories right, but supporting them instead. Right. Just on that point, so we have been talking there about the general election, which we're all expecting next year, probably towards winter time. And essentially... Yeah, unless they call it early. Right, which I don't think they will. I think they'll hold on for as long as they possibly can. Uh, yeah. And whilst, sure, they've unexpectedly held on to the seemingly very vulnerable seat of Uxbridge, which is where Boris Johnson was, uh, the MP, essentially they're all, all the parties here, Lib Dems, Labour and Tory, are claiming that these by-election results are a victory for them. Yeah, no, no, it's for nobody. I still think Labour have a huge question to ask, or or answer, I should say, over the fact that they didn't win in Uxbridge. They didn't win, um, let's say, by more or get more votes because it was such an easy, it's seemingly such easy pickings for them right now. But because 
either there's a lack of policy, there's a lack of direction, as we've talked about and bemoaned on this show for a long time. That's where I think there's still a lot of work to do for them to be more confident in actually doing something or getting seizing power in the actual election. Because I don't think right now it is a done deal, as much as I hate to agree with Rishi. It's not a done deal, but I do think that if Starmer had a backbone and had decent policy and had any sign that he wasn't just going to toe the line of the upper class... Um, the 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 media would already be pro Tory again, which is what he's probably trying to avoid. He's wanting to come across as this unempathetic. There's actually no hope for Britain. We're gonna have to keep doing austerity forever. I'm just a Tory, but wearing a different color tie. Okay, he's he's doing that so the media doesn't turn against them. And I think he's most. I think he's doing it in a in a way that is real. I think that is actually what Starmer believes, and he is just a power power hungry, um, self serving type. And I would be very surprised if when Labour came into power, anything changed. Right. Um, but for now, like I don't. I like I get it. I get it because if they started talking about like raising tax on the wealthy, or if they started talking about maybe being a bit nicer to. Uh, asylum seekers uh-huh. the, the, the Tory media would be pro-Tory again instead of kind of what they're doing right now which isn't necessarily being anti-Tory but they're not really shilling for the Tories fully at sure. this stage we, yep. we are getting things coming out from the BBC about how you know like oh it's not so bad being as poor as you are and you know we are getting stories from other <laughs> sorry media. sorry can I can I just interrupt you at that point? For anyone who missed this, this was a, a BBC News article which was headlined Six Reasons Why the Mortgage Slash Cost of Living Crisis Isn't As Bad As You Think. Yeah. And it was Reason this dystopian one. article. House prices will drop. You you all can't afford to buy them even if they drop, so they'll all be bought by greedy landlords. But still, reason one, house prices will drop. And the reasons were just, they got worse and worse and worse. I think the last one was, reason number six, most landlords already own their property. I know. And it, was, it said something like, three million Brits already own their properties, so they aren't affected by the cost of living crisis. But they're I was paying like, rent right. up anyway. <laughs> What about the other 57 million people who don't own their house? But it was yeah, there, I think one terrible. of the points is like, only a few hundred people have lost their homes so far. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> only. Yeah, I think the headline was something like, point number three, you only have a slim chance of losing your home. <laughs> Smile. But yeah, so the BBC is coming out with that kind of thing. Like, oh, on the bright side, uh, inflation's only 7.8 instead of the expected 8, 8% this month. Wow. And then we got all the rest of the media still going like, oh, asylum seekers are terrible. Europe is terrible. But none of them are like going, Rishi's doing so good. But as soon as Labour start trying to pretend that they're not going to just be the Tories, but again... The media would start saying Rishi's doing so good, you know. Okay. Um, so I get it, and I, it's just it's just bad for all of us that what we have is a system where the two major parties are both vying for the attention of maybe forty percent of the population. Sure. And the same forty percent, rather than different forty yep. percent. But but I imagine that's because they believe that forty percent are the ones who are most likely to vote, and therefore the most likely to get them yeah, in power. Yeah, the safest the safest bet. 
Sure. And, and, and with that strategy, I don't agree. I think it's a disgusting strategy and it, it, it betrays the majority of the people because believe it or not, 40% is not the most of 100. Um, True. <laughs> so, and, but that betrayal is, is functional and it is working. And I think Starmer said as much the other day where people are asking, what's the point of labor? I think the SNP put out some pretty good propaganda about what's the point of labor. It was going around the headlines for a little bit. And then Starmer is saying, what's the point of a labor who doesn't win? Correct. But then the reply to that is, what's the point of a labor who wins and is just the Tories again? Okay. There's still just no point in labor if you're just being the Tories. So so his answer is just a deflection. Right. Well, we will wait and see what happens. I believe an election is a long way away and a lot can change. But uh, it's terrifying yeah. how long okay, it is. Well, let's stick with the BBC, shall we? They have resumed its investigation mm. into the newsreader Hugh Edwards. Right. After police found no evidence of criminal behaviour mm-hmm. over allegations that he paid a young person nearly £35,000 for explicit images. So right. to give everyone the timeline here, and I know for some international listeners you'd be saying who? who? No, it's Hugh is how you say it. Ha. So this is, it all started from the Sun newspaper, biggest Blech. slash best-selling Blech. paper in the country. Scum, and true scum. a week Last Friday, they posted that a BBC presenter unnamed. had been paying, yes, unnamed at this point, paying a teenager for sordid images. That's what they had uh, started they with. Didn't, they didn't say which end of 18 the teenager Correct. was. And essentially what happened was, over the next four or five days... The Sun just dragged out its coverage and BBC presenters left and right were having to out themselves as, oh, it's not me. Oh, it's not me. It's not me. Because everyone was beginning to speculate. Oh, it might be right. Gary Lineker. Oh, it might be Greg James, blah, blah, blah. I so did not see all essentially of those. By, <laughs> Right. Wow. By process of elimination, most people had figured out, okay, it looks like it is the BBC's most well-known newsreader. So Hugh Edwards yeah. has been reading the news for, I would say, what, 20 years and has broken all of the big stories, certainly in recent memory, Queen's death being the most high profile. He told us the Queen died. He did indeed. He put on his sad face and he said, her madge breathed. And then she breathed no more. She, that's, Let's all cry now. That's correct. That's exactly what he said. And then last week, the, after five days of this, the wife of Hugh Edwards came out to confirm, oh, it's him, and said he was now in hospital with serious mental health issues. Yeah. And the corporation, the BBC, then started its investigation into what had happened. And it turns out what had happened was the parents, the mother and the stepfather of this teenager contacted the BBC's, essentially their switchboard in May and said, hey, mm-hmm. we are very concerned and we are annoyed and would like to complain about this presenter who is paying our kid money for images that they are then using that money to fund a cocaine habit. 
And the BBC then passed that on to the relevant department. That department then phoned up the family twice, sent an email, got nothing, and so closed ah. or didn't just didn't do anything else with the information. Right. And it was only like five weeks later the son got a hold of it, and here we are. So the BBC investigating, well, hold on a second, what's been going on? And in the meantime, there have then been more allegations made about Mr. Edwards, both from current and former BBC employees and some other young people who have come to the the son and have said, oh yes, he also messaged me and also he sent me this and also he sent me that. So, very, very long-winded story, but here's the first question. I know this is kind of a hospital pass. Sure. You ready? Was this or is this in the public interest as a story? Uh, Do I think it should be? Probably no. Is it? Yeah, because we live in a society. And that society has expectations and standards that are maybe a bit old-fashioned. Sure. I think at a certain point, this kind of thing can become public interest once you know that there has been uh, legal uh, lines crossed or, like, ethical lines crossed or whatever. Um, But we live, like, as far as I'm aware, like, it's basically just, he's he's using OnlyFans, like, almost. Essentially, yes. Essentially, he's just doing something that is very normal right now, which is getting custom porn. Um, yep. And I think there's a lot of reasons people do that. Uh, there's a lot of reasons like lonely people do that. There's a lot of reasons depressed people do that. But there's a lot of people who are just fully functioning members of society who uh, who get their value out of these platforms. Or, or enjoyment. And I don't think... and Or enjoyment, yeah, whatever. And I don't think that doing so in a healthy and legal uh, manner is a reason to, you know, get fired or whatever. Sure. But I am sure that almost anybody in Britain would lose their job if if they were found out that they did it because there's no, still no. this... No, no, so, so here's where I disagree. Because the only reason why this is a, as big a story as it is... Oh, yeah, like as big a story, yes. It's because, it's because it's of Hugh the But Yeah, if, yeah, yeah, the let's profile say, makes it huge. Let's say this was any other company. Let's say this was Pink Elephant, right? And it turned out that my boss figured out that I had been using part of my salary to pay yeah, an yeah, OnlyFans yeah, yeah. creator. Would I get fired for that? No. It would just be a very awkward HR issue. Like, oh, okay, uh, Colin has been paying a teenager for... Have you done it on company time? Well, maybe Hugh did that. Who knows? But by the sounds of things, no. He was doing it outside of company time. Okay. He used his own money to pay essentially an OnlyFans creator for yeah. content. Now... Is that a news story? No, but because yeah. he is so well known, it is. And yes. that's where we're at. Yeah, but then there is the other elements of other people coming forward. And if any of those people have have sto- have like something to share that is ethically wrong, morally wrong, or illegal, or whatever, Absolutely. it then becomes a public thing for sure. But yeah, like this is the part of living in the UK, um, living in a, in a society of like, looking down our nose at anything that is seen as, you know, improper. Uh, where, and, like, I get it. These people are expected to have a higher standard, but, ugh, man, it's, it, it really shouldn't have gone like this. And, and especially f- driven by the parents rather than the individual. Because there was then a lawyer for the person in, in the centre of all this who yes. hit back at the claims and said they were all rubbish. Exactly. So, there's evidently a disconnect between the person who's being paid, the parents, and what the BBC 
either what they knew or what they didn't know or what they should have acted on or if, for example, the son, what's their role in all this? Because they then went I mean, back they, like, and reworded gonna, yeah. and rewrote a lot of their initial claims. So I think they're going I'm to... I'm seeing a lawsuit. I'm seeing a little bit of a lawsuit on the horizon. In hot water. And the final point in all this, and we did talk about this with Philip Schofield. Yes, yes. Because he then did a, essentially a tell-all interview and Hugh may do similar. But part of that interview, he, he mentioned... Caroline Flack, who is the presenter who took her own life after similarly damaging allegations. And that received a lot of pushback, a lot of yes. online anger because he'd yeah, invoked to her sympathy, name. Yeah. But he was touching on a point, which was, look, my mental health's in the toilet. And now Hugh Edwards, as his wife has said, is in hospital I mean, yeah, with serious yeah. mental health issues. So where's where's that balance of, okay, you, you've messed up, but also... You got to look after yourself. Well, I think yeah. The I, I like I, I like obviously it's good to say how it's affecting you, and it, like if you need to go take care of your mental health, it's good to just say, you know, I got to disappear for a bit. We can return to this when it's possible. But I think the issue, obviously, with Schofield is that he's trying to gain gain sympathy by using somebody else's story instead of his own. Um. So I don't know. Uh, I think with these people who are living in the public eye, it's they know that everything they do has the potential to become known by everyone, and that includes the nice things, and it includes the uh, the neutral things, and it includes the not nice things. So this is something that needs to be more normalized. And I think that as a society um, and as a culture, we mishandle and mistreat things like porn so heavily and it causes so many issues with uh, guilt and depression um, because it is just a vice like any other and there is healthy approaches and unhealthy approaches but shaming it and making it seem so unacceptable when it is voluntary and it is it can be non-exploitative only causes problems if it if it can't be spoken about we can't tackle exploitation if it can't be spoken about we can't tackle things like uh, using it as a coping mechanism so so we do need to change in a lot of ways i don't even remember what original point i was making here it's a valid point yeah. regardless so in this instance it's somebody who is doing what should already be something that each one of us treats with which is more understanding and then getting huge amounts of coverage for it because of their position in society. That coverage should have been expected because we haven't changed as a society yet. And maybe he should know not to be doing such things purely because of that rather than because it's actually something to be ashamed of. But based off of the the talk around mental health and stuff like that, I don't think it was an avoidable thing for him. These kinds of things, they're... They are coping mechanisms, and when they are treated with shame and they can't be spoken about, this is the this is the outcome. And in this case, it's the outcome for somebody on a nationwide scale, but it can be similar things for people on a personal level. This like the shame doesn't just lead to these major um, mental health crises purely because of the scale. I think that this kind of a reaction could happen just between two people.
Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about what else has been happening in the news. And we do have a lot to get through, so we'll keep it right, light and brief. And where better to start for those phrases than Ukraine? Right. Uh-huh. So, this is, first of all, we'll talk about the latest with Ukraine attempting to join NATO. This was after last week when the NATO members all met mm-hmm. in the capital of Lithuania in Vilnius, where they were they were summiting. They were having a summit. Yes, and they were. They were peaking. President Volodymyr Zelensky was also there to essentially ask, hey, can, can we please be allowed in your club? And NATO said... Not just now. Well, they said, yeah, and Zelensky like, said, tomorrow. you guys suck. Like, it can't be next week, okay? There's a process here. To be precise, the NATO states stated uh-huh. that Ukraine can join the alliance when allies agree and conditions are met. Wow, which so specific. President Zelensky criticized as absurd. Well, not NATO specific said enough. Yeah. It recognized the need to move faster, but refused to be drawn on a time scale. Mm-hmm. And in response to that, Mr. Zelensky said there was no readiness to invite Ukraine to NATO or make it a member. Mm-hmm. Now, whilst Kiev accepts it cannot join NATO while it's at war with Russia, obviously it wants to join as soon as possible after the fighting ends. And so NATO are like, well, we can't, we can't give you a date because we don't know when it's going to be finished. Yeah. So... Seemed like it was a kind of polarizing summit. I, I mean, it also kind of just played out in the exact way you'd expect it to. You know, he, yeah. everybody has to look like they have a plan. And everybody has to look like they are the strong one in the room. So, of course, when everybody knows that they can't join until the war is over and everybody also know, doesn't know when the war is over... Zelensky has to appear that he wants it the most right now. He wants it as soon as they possibly can be. And he's going to word that as strongly as he needs to. And then everybody else in NATO has got to make it clear that while we want this strongly, we have to do it at exactly the right time. Yeah, this kind of just played out like you'd expect. So when when you're looking at NATO and NATO being like, yeah, we'd love to have you join, but just (laughs) not right now. I'll come to the dinner, but not like the ceremony. (laughs) To, To me... That's like empty platitudes. It's it is like saying, "Oh yeah, no, we'd love to have you come over to the new house, absolutely." Yeah, but, but um, weak. I'm just not going to give you any indication as to when that's going to happen. So it's it's completely meaningless. I, well, like unless I'm assuming that the that the uh, the the established route is known is the is the thing here. I'm assuming that the folks representing Ukraine, from Zelensky right down to whoever is just talking to to the other NATO dudes. Um, Every single day. They know the route, I'm assuming. They don't know the date. They don't know the timeline, yep. but they know the procedure. They know the agreements. They know the... So if if they didn't know any of that, then yes, it would seem empty, like a platitude. But there's no way they don't know that. And therefore, it's not like just empty. It's just like, we've already talked about this. You already know all this. We're going to repeat it, though. Okay, let's... Sticking with Ukraine and Russia, let's bring them in. Uh-huh. Uh, they have decided that after a year... Well, I no, I don't want to bring Russia into Ukraine, but sure. Okay. Anyway, after a year of a UN-agreed deal on the safety of grain shipments across the Black Sea... Yes, food matters globally, yes. Russia decided, nah, we're, we don't like this anymore. Time to bomb it. And instead... Wow. Wheat prices have risen just sharply, up to 20% in the space of a day. Because Russia's now After Russia said wheat. it was now going to treat ships 
heading for Ukrainian ports as potential military targets. Hooray! Of course. So, for the past three nights, Russia has been bombarding these grain facilities in Odessa and in other cities. There have been dozens of people injured. And Moscow warned that, uh, yeah, as of Thursday, any ships going to the ports in Odessa would be seen as siding with the Kiev regime. And that, of course, has then been met by essentially a lot of governments in Africa saying that Russia have stabbed them in the back. Because, yeah, they have. for example, in Kenya, they're yeah. having their worst droughts or one of the worst yeah. droughts ever. Mm-hmm. And they need the grain. They need the wheat. And instead, yeah. Russia are just blowing stuff up. So... That's yeah. the latest. They can still get shipments by road and by rail, but obviously that is much more expensive and takes far longer. So that's what's happening. There's an argument as well um, that Russia has sabotaged some element of um, the system that feeds China as well, because like there's tons and tons of this food was destined for China already. And then uh, also China is heavily invested in Africa. So if there's a crisis there. It has knock-on effects to China. So... Uh, the global the global uh, ramifications of this maybe are going to be larger than the folks at Russia intended. But again, they just want to look strong. They want to look like they've got a lot that they can bargain with. Um, but they are causing great harm. And I guess the European response was that, oh, we're going to make those sanctions last longer. Those really effective sanctions that have done so much already. We don't need to escalate them. We're just going to make them go for longer. Okay. Talking off prices, let's take it back to the UK. A a new report has found that food prices in UK supermarkets have increased by more than 25% over the past two years. Yeah. And that size of the rise, of course, has raised a lot of eyebrow, a lot of eyebrows, uh, mm-hmm. reinforcing this idea that retailers should be forced to display more detailed price information, oh, they so should. that yeah. shoppers can buy the the best deals. So this was Witch, which is the essentially the price watchdog, who have said that the government need to start closing loopholes that result in confusing and inconsistent pricing yeah. in the UK's biggest supermarkets. Uh, so yeah, this is an ongoing and unsurprising issue that supermarkets are making the most of this cost of living crisis by chucking up prices of everything and uh, tucked inside those inflated prices is a chunky profit. For their some, shareholders, some, yeah, but some sneaky, some sneaky tactics to make it hard to buy the cheapest thing. I think is the main issue. Yeah, um, and it's it's the fact that, as I've said before, there are some of the cheapest items that I will buy in Tesco, which have, oh, in some cases, gone up fifty percent. Yeah, the everyday value stuff in the has last the even most. twelve months. That's the that's the that's the big pain for me is when you look at the prices of the stuff that was. Yep. Oh, this is the affordable things for you poor people. Pat, 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 and patronize, 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 but don't actually help. Like, that's the stuff that's gone up the most, than, like, as far as I can see, um, which is crazy. Like, the cheap pasta costs way more than it used to. All of those things that, that people that don't have any f- spare money rely on are the things that have gone up in price uh-huh. a crazy amount. And yes, before anybody in their little response in their brain accuses us of like blaming the supermarkets, there is so many levels to this. 
there's there, the, for, as far as food prices go, there is no proof of like price fixing. There's not real proof of gouging at at the supermarket level for UK food prices here. As far as we know, officially, food prices at supermarkets uh, are going up because of inflation and going up because of supply chain reasons and going up because of all of these things. Well, inflation is a huge thing that we need to respond to because if food prices are going up this much, maybe maybe wages should be going up as well, but they're not. Um, um, and maybe Tesco and the rest of the supermarkets should be raising the wages of their employees yeah, think as much so. as the food is going up, you know, but uh, I don't think that's happening. Um, but yeah, um, we do, uh, on the other hand, know that fuel prices, there has been active gouging by supermarkets yeah. and they are taking advantage of us there. So why should we believe them that they're not as far as the food goes? No, um, I, I firmly believe they're all at it. Well, they're all at it. Yeah, supermarkets will be at it. The suppliers will be at it. There has been a pattern globally of record profit margins in corporations and record profit margins is not just record profit. Yep. It also implies that they've increased the percentages of things to a greater, uh, the percentages of profits to a greater degree, which implies gouging. I think a lot of the companies that have done this have said, oh, but we were assuming inflation would be worse and then it wasn't. So when are they going to put their prices back down? Or when are they going to put their prices lower to make up for the massive gain that ma they made from our pockets? Um, but no, the whole system is designed to do this to yeah. us. You, you, sorry, you, you mentioned you mentioned inflation. Just to confirm, <laughs> inflation is now, as of June, at 7.9% annually, which is, uh, yeah, only just four times larger than the Bank of England's target of two. <laughs> That's a Tory win. We're supposed to be really happy that it was like 0.2% lower than projected. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! No, and, and, and okay. the, 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 this is the big one. It's, the, these things are so bad, and then the only people that are getting the blame is the poor or the working class or, or workers who want to raise. When the system is so much more complicated than that, and when is a raise appropriate? Because I don't think any Tory has answered that question. If the working class is not allowed to get raises when inflation is high because it's going to cause inflation, uh -huh. and they're not allowed to get raises when inflation is low because it's going to cause inflation, when are they allowed to get raises? When? <laughs> Never, James. <laughs> Stay poor. Um, and like, I, I, I am, I finally have hit the point where I'm suffering from it. So I do, I am now invested. Up till now, every single time we talked about it, I've been talking about how I'm still managing okay. I can't anymore. I've had to dip into savings for food. Ugh. Because just every single bill of mine went up extortionately yep. in the last two months, including food. When does your mortgage rate end? Oh, I made it as far away as possible. Good. Smart. I, when, I, when I got my mortgage. Same. If, it, if I made it for a two-year deal, it would be... It would be coming up before inflation goes back yeah. down for sure. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of poor people, let's briefly talk about Nigel Farage, who is making his triumphant return to this show. This is the former leader of UKIP and the Brexit party, confirmed racist and just all-round <laughs> terrible person. You can't say that, we'll get sued. And he has called on the government to hold an inquiry into NatWest after one of its banks, Coots, which is right. mainly for rich people, closed his account. Yeah, it's an exclusive bank. Yeah. Which initially, when this happened, Coots insisted it did not close the account based on his legally held political or personal views, but it turns out yes. they did. 
So at least kind of. In a 40-page document, it essentially close enough proved that uh, yeah, Kutz had chucked him because he was regarded as, and I quote, xenophobic and racist and a former fascist. <laughs> and so this has then former. prompted the chief executive of <laughs> Nat West to write a letter saying that deeply inappropriate comments had been made, which did not reflect the view of the bank. And so Mr. Farage has partially partially accepted that apology but says it's nowhere near enough so that's that yeah, but he, sh- he should just say it's done but he's going to milk it if it gets more headlines of course he will yeah exactly because he was milking it all along because the key part that he's missing from the report is that he had not been investing enough into the accounts yep to get an account or to have an account sustained by default I think they have to invest something like a million pounds in the bank a year yeah, so it's a very exclusive bank. It's not just like all the other banks that actually have to provide an account for everyone. This is private sector, fancy pants bank that has standards. Sure. They're allowed to have those standards. Um, that's fine. That's how, that's how business works, uh, whatever. Um, one, one of those standards is a lot of money has to be flowing. Farage wasn't making a lot of money flow. Um, so the reason that they are closing the account is because he's not got enough money flowing. The reason they are not giving him an exemption and keeping the account open is because of all his political views. So he's kind of right that they're closing the account because of because he's a trash human being, but he's wrong because they would have closed the account in, unless they gave him an exemption and they didn't give him the exemption because he's a trash human being. So yeah, they lied. They lied because they said there was it was not involved at all. His views are zero related to this. Okay, but he's he's lying too. But it's just all milking it for the media and the attention. Well, talking of other sacks of sh- let's talk about Robert Jenrick. This is the wow, yeah. government minister who yeah. ordered. Sorry, the immigration minister. It's hard to pick your least favorite government minister and our minister in this in some instances he's up there because he's up there it turned out that murals of mickey mouse and other cartoon characters designed to welcome child asylum seekers to a reception center in dover nice painting for children in dire situations they have been painted over by order of the immigration minister. <laughs> By government order. <laughs> yeah. So Robert Jenrick instructed they be removed, reportedly because he believed they sent too welcoming a message to children. It's Theresa May all over again. We must be hostile to people in desperate situations. Right. So the Home Office said that this uh, Kent intake unit, which opened last November... It was designed to look after unaccompanied child migrants, which included an outdoor space, some softer interview rooms, whatever that means. There was improved security, prayer rooms. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the interview rooms for adults come adorned with torture devices. Right, precisely. So that was then part of it, which was like nice cartoons on the walls, makes it look less pleasant for, yes, as you say, unaccompanied child asylum seekers. Because you bet it still feels horrible and disgusting. So murals on the wall do not make a place feel friendly. They make it feel slightly less bad. (laughs) So that's what happened there. I can't believe it. It's 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 like co- it's, it's comically villainous. It's just it's it's comically evil. That's what it is. It, yeah, it is just being a bad person. <laughs> like, hey, do you want to make these children who are unaccompanied, you, attempting you, to find somewhere safe and warm to live? Those children need to feel less welcome and more yes. scared. They're not feeling frightened enough of being in the UK f- because they've fled from their countries out of 
fear of death, they should be more scared when they arrive here. Off, Mickey. <laughs> yeah. Well, they might. To be fair, like stop, stop using Disney characters at all. But yeah, uh, this is this is it's it's another example of just how hostile and fake the Tories want to be about immigration and asylum seekers and migrants and anything. But I'm sure a lot of their supporters would have seen this story and been like, yeah, good for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. It's not effectively going to make any change in terms of the overall number of people coming to the UK for asylum or migration purposes. The only reason they did this was to make their their, uh, angry supporters feel anger and to feel like the Tories also feel that anger. And are doing something about okay. it, like painting over murals. That was one of their their five strategies. It was the bonus sixth one. Oh man, the strategies are still getting back and forth between uh, government and lords. I believe, right? Uh, I think. I don't know. Don't care. Okay. Speaking yeah. of, oh, also randomly about the Tories. Did you see that they're, they're, for England and Wales, I believe it is, their like guide for teachers what to do about the trans kids uh, was it just about to be published and then it got delayed uh-huh. because elements of it were literally illegal. Oh, really? Yeah, elements of their that? guidance for how to treat the, tra- the trans kids is illegal. And this is the proposed guidance that was supposed to come out like at the end of the summer halls, like before the next term. Helpful. Um, Reassuring. Now, obviously, I think it was deliberate. I think it was a deliberate play so that they could get their 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 base angered about how these reasonable guidelines were illegal and therefore we need to change the law. But okay. the law is basically just like treat people treat, treat people with like respect and privacy and don't breach their don't breach their privacy and stuff like that. You know, maybe if kids are telling you a thing, you don't you legally are not allowed to just like force them to do anything and you know it's actually kind of criminal to not let them dress the way they feel comfortable and things like that so i'm expecting them to try to change those decent laws about how we treat people very soon and it's going to be off the back of this uh, guidance for teachers Okay, let's wrap up the show and talk about some entertainment. Yay! Fun things. James, we're going to kick off with reviews. Okay, reviews. You've you've watched things, right? I have. Film and I have watched a thing. You've watched a film? I have. No, uh, yeah, film. Now, have you seen this? I'm sure you did. I'm sure you you reviewed it. Yeah, I think I talked about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to kick us off then. This is the 2021 movie... Nobody. Nobody. Which is on Netflix. It is. And stars Bob Odenkirk, otherwise known as Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad. Bobod Enkirk, what I do. So, yep, he's in the, the lead role and he essentially plays a mild-mannered John family Wick. man who... But old. After his house... Yeah, he's old. After his house gets robbed and he is shamed for failing to protect his family, he decides to return to his former life as a Badass, <laughs> and uh, yeah, then a crime lord who's obviously Russian goes after him. Oh, yeah. So this was directed by and written. No, sorry, it was written by Derek Coldstat and David Leitch, who was off the John Wick franchise. He helped produce it, yeah. and there's been suggestions that this is in the same universe as 
John Wick. Oh. And they've talked about with a sequel, which apparently is in production or was in production until the actors and writers strike. Yeah, yeah it's on hold that right there now. would be some sort of nod to the fact that these exist in the same place. Right. So I didn't know that part. This movie is on Netflix. If you want to go and watch it, it's ninety minutes long. That's the, that's the good thing. And I thought it was. I thought it was fine. Yeah, you know, it's entertaining. It, entertaining. I thought Bob Odenkirk made a good action hero. Yeah, Bob Odenkirk was was pretty grand. Thought there was some nice writing. Surprisingly good action hero. I didn't I didn't think he'd sell it as well as he did, but he did. Yep. Yeah. Acting chops is there and we know he can act, but it turns yeah. out he can fight, he can smash boiling kettles over people, like, people's yeah, faces. It's, it's just it's 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 by the book oh, as for far sure. as one of these films goes. Um, but yeah, it was I good. thought the ending was a little silly, but you know, when he's got his dad who's been in an old folks' home and his uh, brother oh, who's yeah. the ending was a little silly. Played yeah. by Riza, who's just been a voice until the final scene. Um yeah. Thought I was a bit silly, but hey, if it's set in the John Wick universe where you can use your jacket to shield yourself from bullets, then <laughs> yeah, I you I'm I'm okay with anything. So look, it was fine. I, know, I forgot about the ending. The ending is like it's like cringe Home Alone, but for adults. Yeah, just like this eighty-year-old man blasting people with shotguns, yeah. not getting a single scratch on him. No, I, Come yeah. on. I I respect it though. Now that I'm thinking about it, I thought it was bad and charming. The ending was bad and charming in an entertaining way, so it still worked for me. Yeah, I I thought it was, it was yeah, just fine. There's one scene early on which never, it was never really revisited, which is he beats up these five mobsters on a bus. Yeah, the book. And at one point, he stabs a guy in the neck. Right. And as the guy is basically choking to death on his own blood, Mm -hmm. he cuts a sorry to get very graphic here. Yeah. Cuts a slit in the guy's throat. Puts in a straw that he's picked up from the bus floor and basically gives the guy a tracheostomy. Yeah. So he can breathe. Yeah. And it's like, all right, that was kind of disgusting to watch. And all right, you're helping out the guy who tried to kill you. Fine. Nearly and it's kill never him, but revisited. Don't quite, don't quite kill it's him. N- like, it's just, a, oh, he's an assassin who actually he cares deeply about he has the a Russians. Heart. He's an assassin of like. A little bit of a heart. He will make you in great pain, nearly dead, and probably sure. for the rest of your life, but not dead dead. Uh, and later on, yeah, sure, he'll just headshot three people who are all standing in a row, but there's no straw tracheostomy for them. <laughs> yeah, but they weren't just like randoms on a bus. They were like, they came for him. Anyway, it was fine. Easy, 90 minutes. Yeah, it was Totally fine. inoffensive. It was, yeah. Life is it's still the same as it was before I watched it. What have you watched? Yeah. I watched the Banshees of Inishiri. Interesting. Okay, so Finally. sorry, just for a brief recap, this was the Oscar nominated Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson yes. movie from yes. Martin McDonough, yes. which did very well. Yes. I thought it Absolutely. was just incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. And I felt terrible leaving the cinema, but I did kind of weirdly enjoy it. What did you think? Oh, yeah. Like, it's horrible and depressing, but it's got just enough of the expected humor and dark humor okay. that it keeps you going through. Um, because it is, like, as a story, it is very depressing. Um, I don't want to spoil it too hard because people might not have watched it, but it is about conflict, interpersonal conflict between just two people yep. uh, who were friends and are no longer friends and trying to understand the history and the why. And the more you think about it, the more you realize the multi-layered kind of analogies to real life. You realize the the layers of the of the conflict within the story, 
um, the the victims of the conflict within the story, how so few of them managed to escape yeah. the the conflict and the and the and the conflicts of the whole area. It's a commentary on these communities as well, and a, a kind of community that I and you are very familiar with. Um, and the the effect that, that kind of community has on people. It's a very intelligent um, film. I think maybe more intelligent than the kind of the trailers and the Oscar dra- not, okay. not drama, the Oscar run gave it credit for. Um, yep. I think the acting was pretty much perfect in the sense that I don't think any of the characters had to do anything like overwhelmingly new. Right, they weren't like pushing the bounds of acting. They were just there's hold on. There's one perfectly character I cannot for the life of me remember his name. Is the young guy? I'm going to look up his name now. Okay, a, f- a phenomenal actor who has been in a lot of stuff. I like Barry Keoghan. Keoghan, yeah, I had, yes. I had the wrong young actor in my name. So Keoghan, handsome man, definitely is the person who's like the standout. They are doing a for sure a serious level of character acting here whereas everybody else kind of felt like people acting normal-ish people well, who on, are maybe very on. troubled and depressed J- just on that point so there, there's four essentially leads in this we talked about Colin and Brendan they're the friends who fall out I thought both of them were pitch perfect and yep yeah just perfect absolutely yeah. give them the nominations Kerry Condon who I'm certain was nominated for, for best actress I also thought was excellent I thought she was better than the dudes absolutely uh, but, thought, but to me yeah. Barry Keoghan, because of the the arc that his character has in the movie, the way he starts and the way that arc ends, I thought he was yeah. just so to sublime it, to, in this. Yeah, so, so to put it lightly and try not to spoil it, he's playing a character who seems completely stupid on the surface, like yeah. nearly brainless. But there is, again, like the rest of the film, a horrible layer of depression to the character. And I think yeah, yeah, his yeah. horrible lair is obviously more directly shown at certain points. Yep. But the way he acts in the scenes that aren't necessarily the horrible ones still has that hidden in it. His acting shows that overarching trauma and stuff like that in the different moments. And I think he did a very good job of adding subtlety to a character that initially feels like, oh, this is overdone, overcooked, and a bit cliche. Um, I eventually I was realizing that there was a whole other level to the character. So yeah, like that, like the whole film, there was levels to it. Um, I, I I can see why. It, like obviously it was worth Oscar nom. Obviously it was worth Oscar nominations uh-huh. for the actors and stuff. I can also see why it didn't win. I like it didn't astound me more okay. than than any of the other films that I've watched that were on the on the slate for the Oscars. Um, I I think any one of them. Um, could have won, I, and people had told me that this was, uh, this should have been the obvious winner. No, I do, I disagree. I think I think it was just like as good as the rest. It honestly wasn't a ten out of ten film in a lot of ways. Um, would you hold on? Hold on. Would you recommend it though? Oh yeah, I I think right. I do think it comes with a caveat of you have to be prepared for feeling really bad, but also having a bit of a morose giggle. Um, yeah, spot on. Which isn't for everybody. And probably isn't for the, the, the Oscars, um, I guess. Um, but yeah, like fair enough. There, there was there. You could see the 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 desire of the director. That's one of the really cool things about a film like this is you you can see one the story they're telling, and then two you can figure out many of the conclusions that they're wanting you to come to about the the era, about the characters, 
about the real life of that time and all of these things. It was really, really good. Okay, well, dear listener, if you have watched or finished anything, be that a movie, a TV show, a book, a play, a musical, seeing as we're coming up to Edinburgh Fringe time, maybe there's something you're going to go and see. Review it. And if you do it pronto... We could even air it before the fringe is over. We can then go and see it and see how bad the thing was that you went to see. You can do that by emailing seesawparade at gmail.com. And James, you got something else to review before we move on? Yeah. Talk about some trailers. Well, I, yeah, I watched an anime. It's called Hell's Paradise. Uh, okay. It's TV show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say it's good, but very simple. Um, it's a story about a group of right criminals and and um, some some police type samurai who get sent to a island a paradise island uh, in search of something um and it's super contrived like it just lots of the elements of the story make zero sense you've just got to be like okay that i i accept that, that this nonsensical setup is the story and then as soon as you do that it's fine and it's really it's really enjoyable um it's, it is just one of those shows that is all action. There is some subtlety of character, but not like you don't have to be super intelligent to, to grab to grab the meaning of the show or anything like that. Um, it is it is just a setup for a lot of action with a lot of characters, obviously enough characters that you're in like a suicide squad ask who's going to die next scenario. Um, so you don't want to get attached to anyone really. Um, but yeah, I just it, I watched a, I watched an anime that was maybe the most anime of an anime I've watched this year. It was the it was the genre. Uh, it, well, not the genre because it's an action anime. It was the genre of action anime that it is to a to a T. Um, the animation was really good at the start, and then it kind of like went downhill a bit, and that was a shame. But aside from that, it was just a show that I very much enjoyed watching. I didn't like have any motivation to skip an episode and wait and anything like that that I sometimes do it was just I, every episode comes out I'm watching you're there it. okay sounds good let's move on talk about some trailers before we finish up by talking and laughing at Twitter let's start with the first trailer for Wonka which oh. <laughs> I would urge you if you're yet to see it pause the podcast <laughs> please go look at it it's Timothy Chalamet as a young Willy Wonka. Here's a clip. I've spent the past seven years traveling the world perfecting my craft. You see, I'm something of a magician, inventor, and chocolate maker. So quiet up and listen down. Nope, scratch that. Reverse it. Mr. Wonka, I can see you're a man of great ingenuity. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? Dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. Many people have come here to sell chocolate. They've all been crushed by the chocolate cartel. You can't get a shop without selling chocolate, and you can't sell chocolate without a shop. No daydreaming. What are we going to do, Willie? All right, hold on. You're, you're making noises as if you're about to tear into this, so let's. I want to hear your take first before I embarrass myself. Uh, right, okay, so I think to play Wonka... You need a certain level. You need to be a bit willy. Car- yeah, honestly, yes. You need a certain level of like cartoonish charisma. Sure. Tim Tim doesn't have that. Little little <laughs> Timothy does not. He's a serious person. Okay. Even when he, even when he's in this in this even in this episode trying to look eccentric and trying to be 
whatever and unpredictable. He's just he, I, he is just not succeeding. Right. He does not have that vibe. So and he hasn't brought it to the character. I and this is a film we didn't need. So yeah. I agree and I agree. That being said, I am one of the Chalamets who like seeing him in things regardless of what he does Re- you'll enjoy the sight you are right you are correct my friend so i'm okay with this <laughs> only only as far as he is in a thing that i will go and watch so that being said if you compare this performance even to the johnny depp one yeah from which was bad 20 enough. years ago no, well, so here's the thing. I don't think Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka was particularly bad. It was just... He was like, yeah, that's what I mean. He wasn't like bad. He was just like bad enough. He wasn't as good as the predecessor. Okay, so the, the, I cannot remember the name of the original actor. People will be shouting this at the moment. 1960s, 1970s, Charlie the Chocolate yeah, Factory. No, go, go, go. Just look at that. I've, I've forgotten it as well. He's, that guy we, we, who is now immortalized in memes for the rest of time. We've talked about him That's the, the role before. that everyone is attempting to, uh, whether it's emulate or improvise or riff off of. Fine. Johnny Depp did one 20 odd years ago and it was very different to that. And that's okay because it made it it made it his own. He made it his own. It was charismatic. It was different. It was weird. Sure, it wasn't the original. I want to say Gerd Müller, but he's the German who scored lots of football goals. No, no, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Gerd Müller. I was close. <laughs> okay, <laughs> really close. Anyway, <laughs> it wasn't Gene Wilder, and people were disappointed about that. However, it was his take on the character, and that's fine. The issue I have with this movie is, yeah, as you said, we don't need it. Oh it's just rehashing a character we've already seen twice. Well, not, Why do we need a third iteration? Hold on. But the main issue is that it's just Timothy Chalamet looking handsome and having some, chocolate hat. some quips. It's nothing, nothing about this screams Willy Wonka. It just screams Timothy Chalamet playing dress up. So... As, which well, hold I on, think he which I'm okay with. With some food at some point, which I'm totally fine with. But if you want to play the character, there's got to be something about him which makes him yours rather than just okay. oh, Timothy Chalamet. Because with Johnny yeah. Depp's version, he disappeared into the character. He was so unlike, let's say, a Jack Sparrow or any other character he'd played. That's why. Okay, sure, it polarized people, but it worked. Whereas here, it's just Timothy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. is fine. It's just him. That's what. That's what I mean. He doesn't have. He doesn't have the vibe. He's um, basically no, playing that... his June character, except happier. <laughs> the film's got a lot of work to do if they want to try and make You're telling me. this version of Willy Wonka. Because Mr. Wonka, or Dr. Wonka, if he's got a PhD, I don't know. Doc Wonk. Doc Wonk. He is deranged. <laughs> like, you read the book, you watch the films, he's a lunatic, right? He is not a good guy. He doesn't have redeeming qualities. Sure. He's actually just a bad person who's got a lot of money and power and is using it to influence people in a in a schemey kind of way. He's a Tory. Um, he's a Tory who 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 in charge of a cho- chocolate factory instead of the government. Um, and this film is trying to portray him as like a hero type. Yeah. Like he's doing it for his mum energy. Yep. Unless this film is like really gonna just like set up with the trailers and the first half of the plot, one version of Wonka, and then they're gonna like show us, aha, he was deranged all along. It's just not gonna make sense in the Wonka cinematic universe. <laughs> I, I, that's one of the best takes you've ever had. I, I'm gonna immortalize that forever in audio form. 
Okay, let's move on. Other trailers to talk about. Here's the first one. Ahsoka, which I believe we talked about before, but here's another clip. We did. Another trailer. I was excited about it. War is inevitable. One must destroy in order to create. We are no Jedi. I started hearing whispers of Thrawn's return as heir to the Empire. What happens when we find Thrawn? Power. Such as you've never dreamed. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it looks, still looks good. Still got some famous people in it. It just looks like a good Star Wars show. I hope they got it right. Are you overhyping yourself for the show, though? Uh, no. Getting carried away here? No. No. Th- nope. I've watched Boba Fett, so I've got very realistic standards. I've watched, I've watched um, Obi Wan as well, so I've got realistic standards. I know how bad a job um, Disney can do of something I like if they just cheap out or try to do it too fast. I don't think this show is showing signs of the cheap stuff that you could see even in the trailers for the other shows. And yes, those were made under COVID and whatever, so it's I do forgive them a little bit. but no, I think one of the things about this 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 show that has changed since the last time we talked about it is one of the one of the uh, I don't know if it's their lead one of the main characters the actor has died in the interim. Yes, we talked is, about this it very briefly. Makes this, it does make watching this trailer feel very strange. Well, it's why I believe they put him front and center because he's since died. Ray. Yeah. Someone. Uh, yeah, I forget the name. We're forgetting all the names today. Ray Stevenson. Yes. Yeah, and he died last month, and that's why I believe he's yeah he's the very first. He's, he's thing really in this just trailer. right in the trailer, and like I don't know how I feel about that because it like yeah maybe it's like hey uh, uh, we're respecting him by like putting him at front and center. This is the last thing he did. It's all about him now. But then also it feels like remember this guy died. Watch our show, and which feels disrespectful. So I don't know how I feel because I just don't trust Disney to be handling it nicely, you know, making us all feel good and not making it a marketing opportunity. Okay, one more trailer to look at, and it is for A Haunting in Venice, which which is another Hercule Poirot movie with Kenneth Branagh. I didn't know there was going to be another one. Neither did I. The 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 set the second one the second one it felt like it concluded the very brief yep. revisiting to the character and it was horribly received yeah. so I did not think there would be another one and so soon here's a clip Hercule Poirot I've found something I've looked at it from every which way I am the smartest person I ever met and I can't figure it out so I came to the second you are up to something my friend. I've seen a million of these so-called psychics, each one a fake. I do not believe in psychics. Come with me to a seance. Spot the con I can't. Detective, you are here to discredit me, but I can talk to the dead. I'd give all I have to hear my daughter's voice. If someone wants to be heard, we are here. Listening. Do you know what really struck me about this was the fact that that second movie, which was Death on the Nile, which I think only came out like 18 months ago, was it that had recent? a star-studded cast. It had 
everybody in it. Like yeah. Gal Gadot was the main character. But it did and come then, out at peak everybody hates Gal now um, time. Right? But anyway, I think Daniel Kaluuya was in it. Yeah. Helen Mirren may have been in it. Uh, or maybe it was Dame Judi Dench. Anyway, it was like a who's wait, who. who else was in it? Was, was, uh, who else was in it? There's whatchamacallit from the Marvel films was in it. Well, there was, I mean, there was Army Hammer. And then, oh wait, and then Russell Brand was in it. <laughs> Letitia Wright. <laughs> From Marvel. Yeah, there we are. Yeah, yeah. They had a who's who of cringe people during COVID. Yeah, Russell Brand, as you mentioned. Don French. I don't think she was Rose Leslie, Sophie Okonedo. Jennifer Saunders was in it. It was a lot. It was a heavy cast. And, and it wasn't super faithful to the book. Well, it wasn't 100% faithful to the book. So it was like, it right. was something. It was brave. It was and, ambitious. And it just came out last year. And now... And it bombed. We have another one. How? We have another one. Why? Well... I think it's because it's a passion project for our, our lead boy. Clearly. Mr. Brana like, just loves twirling the moustache. He's producing it and he's, and he's acting it, right? So if he likes it, he likes it. If, if, if he's willing to take a big hit on the, on, on the second one and try to make a third one, power to him. But you know what? I watched the trailer and it it looks kind of good. Well, so I am willing like, to give it a it, shot because yeah. the first one was fine. It was a, it was a mess, but it was I fine. It. it was it was. It was messy. It, again, it, it, had, it had Johnny Depp, who at that time when we were at peak, everybody hates Johnny Depp cringe. So I'm worried for all the actors in this film, what news is going to come out between now and the release of the film that is going to make them the Sorry. most hated person on the face of the planet. But the, the difference between Death on the Nile and Haunting in, a Haunting in Venice is that this film, there's a total absence of any star quality at all. There's Tina Fey, yeah. Jamie Dornan, yeah. Michelle Yeoh, and that's it. Well, Michelle Whereas last time, just won an Oscar. Uh, right, hold on. But that this would have been filmed long before that. This is not a who's who of Hollywood. This is just a yeah, who's available not, it's not of 20 Hollywood. 20 people you know. It is, here's good actors that you kind of know. So I'm, Which I like. It, it's, right, it's probably going to be better. But I'm so perplexed as to how and why this movie was made and how so quickly... Well, they've scaled it down, obviously. Sure. Cheaper, affordable cast. I mean, it looks like a haunted house movie. And, like, less location because they're stuck in one house. You know, they've scaled right. it down a lot. Well, hold so, on. A lot the cheaper whole point to make. Of, right, the whole premise of everything I've ever seen with Hercule Poirot is exactly the same. Something happens. Mystery everyone's in the same it. place. They lock the doors and he has to figure out who did it. Yeah. It's literally been the same for three yeah, movies it's a now. classic. Well, not, not, uh, not just three movies, but every TV show that has been, that has been exactly. adaptions before, the entire books, they're all the same, but they're good. Uh, That's the point. It's compelling the same. And the, the, the good thing about this one is that, yes, it's the same premise. Poirot, mystery, he's going to solve it. It's gonna. He's gonna solve it with a monologue at the end. It's the exact thing that Knives yep. Out is parodying, you know. Yep. But it does actually look like they've tried to shift into a slightly different genre. They're leaning into the horror. They're leaning into the setting of this story. So I like that. It's not just making another Poirot thing. Okay. It's making the a Poirot thing, but adding the actual horror elements, which I hope they've done in the film as much as they've done in the trailer. Sure. Okay, one final story because time is up. Let's talk about Twitter. Elon Musk has said this week <laughs> that their cash flow is negative due to massive declines in their ad revenue what? as well as heavy debt. But all so, the advertisers came back, Colin. Elon said so. He did, but he lied. So this is a 50% drop in advertising <laughs> revenue. What an idiot. Which 
also coupled with the $13 billion worth of debt that he bought <laughs> after his uh, $44 billion buyout last year. Uh, basically, he's going to have to use some of his own cash to keep the site going, by the sounds of things. You say his own cash, but we mean people who have invested into his other companies' cash. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. that's unsurprising and no. a huge slice of schadenfreude going on here. But there are still people out and about saying that they, they believe in Elon and he's he's just, he's, he's a genius and he's not made any mistakes and he's, it's all a play. Oh my goodness. It's, I guess he came out a long time ago to say that like revenue was not negative and that was as good as it got and now he's having to admit it is negative. And I don't know how long this is going to go on for. They've got so many like fees that they owe people, so much rent that they owe people, so much like severance that they owe people. They're not paying any of that. It's only going to keep piling up. And if they if the advertisers didn't come back, which it turns out they didn't, I don't know where they're going to get their money from because it's not from that check mark. Indeed, and like us, we are not going to make any money from this platform true, either. True, true. But we didn't if invest only you any either. To us. Well, we did invest a little bit. I guess yeah. our return is is actually almost zero. You got some beers, apparently. <laughs> I did. Our return rounds down to zero, whereas his it could round down to negative twenty million. Yeah. A billion, 20 you mean. billion, sorry. So I think he's doing worse than us. Indeed. Okay. Well, if you want to keep listening to people who are doing worse than you, then come back next time. We'll have even more Yay. happy, cheery news. Thank you, James, the for will be evil. everything. Maybe maybe Trump will do something yeah. stupid by this time next time. Who knows? Well, we look forward to that with great anticipation. Oh, speaking of Trump, he's getting more charges he coming. Is. But we can talk about those when they actually happen. Yeah, we'll happen. talk about that. And we'll just recap what we've said about him for the last 200 episodes. Every single time we talked about him, yes. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Uh, I'll see you next time. Bye. Yay, bye-bye. Well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, real j- d- honour. Oh, a joy. I'm off to holiday heaven. (laughs) Wow, callback.